Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Tuesday, July 6th edition of the Basement Academy. Hope you enjoyed a good holiday weekend. Uh, yesterday ended up being in a nice, quiet, and somewhat productive day of cleaning and other things around the house. So uh, took the day as a day of rest from this work and eager to get back at it. Um, I've been struck over the holiday weekend, perhaps you have as well, with um, news of flag controversies and the like, whether or not uh, July 4th is a holiday that is worth celebrating in our country, uh, depending on uh, one's social status and class and skin color, etc. And so even... July 4th is becoming politicized, and the flag is becoming politicized. I read an article uh, sent by one of our Greenwich members uh, whether displaying the flag is now a political statement. And if you display the flag, that indicates you lean one direction or another. And um, I'm just kind of sad about that. I guess that's what I'm going to say. There's probably more reflections uh, to come. Uh, I expect as we uh, come close to the Olympics, uh, the Summer Olympics over in Tokyo in a couple weeks, and um, there will be athletes who we can anticipate will be protesting in some way uh, the very country they uh, represent. Um, And so there's something beautiful in the freedom of our nation and of our constitution and in our declaration of independence, our founding documents that creates space even for such dissent. And I think that's part of the genius of our country and the point at which we no longer permit dissent. Um, Thing, things will be very different. And, and I am concerned that dissent in some places is, is squashed. And so there, there, there's more to talk about this. So maybe once we finish our Ephesians study, <clears throat> as the Olympics will be upon us, maybe there'll be a, a week of reflecting on patriotism and, and, and the like So as a Christian. Well, let's dive back into the Psalm, Psalm 126. Uh, we've read this a number of times. It's one of the pilgrim psalms, one of my favorites. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Mm. Psalm 126. It's it's picturing uh, an exile, a deportation, being separated from the land, being brought back, uh, the joy of reunion, the joy of restoration. Um, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. I think this is a psalm that can be prayed uh, not only in the bigger 
expressions of life, but you know the daily ups and downs and the recollections of our lives, the uh, the seasons. Uh, we've been talking about times and seasons, uh, the seasons of our lives where it seems God is absent or there is some trial that we are under uh, or loved ones. That it's a it's a psalm that we pray for God to restore, to strengthen, to to to, to bring us back, uh, being being brought back uh, to a, a, a place of strength, of hope, of joy, of confidence, uh, relationships, finances, uh, health, any any number of ways this could could play out. Um, that one verse, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. That is a verse that we taught our children and we still uh, enjoy praying as a family. I was struck by the final line, he who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. It's this picture that we, when we're separated, we go out, there's potential. We have seeds to sow. There's there's work yet to do. Uh, there's life um, in us. <laughs> and those seeds represent the future, uh, the, the harvest, that, that which we labor towards and we aspire towards, a future that, that we uh, yearn to be fruitful uh, and abundant. But we may not be able to um, sow those seeds in the places that we would want. And yet... This image of going out with the weeping, carrying the seed to sow. We've got life yet to live. And then God bringing us back, uh, the return home with songs of joy. And then the sheaves. There has been a harvest, even in that difficult time, even in that trial. God has been working to bring about a, a fruitfulness and a flourishing of our lives. Sometimes it's in the trials that we grow the most. And, and the fruit of God's spirit is born in us of patience, of long suffering uh, and, and the like. So anyway, I commend Psalm 126 to you. And some of it's this notion that God is always at work, not just when things are happy, right? Uh, that we live east of Eden, as we've been reminded in our Ecclesiastes study. And that even in those times and seasons of stress and difficulty and mourning, there is something that God is working, uh, an abundance of fruitfulness, of flourishing. So, okay, <clears throat> finished last Friday, uh, we were talking about being filled with the Spirit, that is being under the influence of God's Spirit. So I take this to be less about an ecstatic experience, um, Something it's not certainly something that we ourselves can fully bring about, you know, um, it, it's less about ecstatic experiences uh, and the like, um, or emotional experiences. It's about a way of life where instead of being, the, the contrast, because uh, Paul has given us a series of contrasts, put off the old, put on the new. One of these contrasts is, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So under what spirit, are you under the Spirit? under the influence of spirits, that is drink, strong drink, or are you under the influence of the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit of God? Both are kind of internal expressions that have outward manifestations, right? Yeah, or invisible expressions that have outward uh, manifestations. 
And to be filled with the Spirit then is characterized by a certain kind of life. There is speech, speech that is uh, reflective of of God's word, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The the manner in which we address one another is, is shaped by words of truth and grace and encouragement, singing and making music. And so there's a, a, a gladness, a joyfulness, a worship, an attentiveness to God uh, that marks the control of the Spirit, the influence of the Spirit in one's life. And then there is this gratitude, giving thanks to God the Father uh, through Jesus Christ. And so this recognition that life is gift, that God has provided. And so we speak to one another in a certain way. We give our voice in, in tribute to God and in worship. Um, there's gratitude. There, there's, a, there's a sense of um, honor that we give to God. And then this interesting verse, and this is going to, we want to springboard off of this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so in the original Greek language, the construction of this, there's a series of participles that are describing the the controlling verb. And so this being filled, so the, the speaking, the singing, the giving thanks, and then it is submitting. So technically it should read submitting to one another. That is a mark of, so if you were to diagram the sentence, it would be drawn back to this notion of being filled with the Spirit. So Also, in addition to the speaking, the singing, the gratitude, there is a relational quality, a posture we have towards others that is reflective of the Spirit's influence and control in our lives. Submit to one another or submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I've said this before, we'll say it again. Salvation, as Paul writes of it here, okay, so chapters one to three are about God's eternal plan of salvation brought about through Jesus Christ and then bringing, reconciling the world, Jew and Gentile being brought back into one family. This is God's purpose. Salvation is a transformational experience, not a transactional experience. Okay, I I talk all the time about salvation is not just the transaction where you step up to the customer service window, you say the magic words, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, or whatever little formula that we sometimes think of. So it's not we step up to God's customer service window, I apply for salvation, I accept Jesus, he gives me my ticket, I tuck it in my pocket, I'm set for life. My future is secure, so I can just go about my business. I can live as I want to live, knowing that I all I have to do is pull out my ticket and show it to St. Peter at the pearly gates. That is not biblical salvation. Okay? That's what I mean, a transaction. That there are people who think of it that way. You know, if you've said the magic words, you've got your salvation ticket, you're good to go, live your life. Salvation is transformational. It's not this. It's not this moment in time where, and then you're set. Yes, it is a moment in time, okay, but it is a life that we live. It's not just a ticket we we punch or a ticket we purchase. It's a life that we live that transforms us. That our lives inside 
being expressed, an inner transformation that finds an outward expression, the manner in which we live, the manner in which we conduct ourselves, the manner in which we relate to one another, uh, the manner in which we speak and act and work and, and spend and, and give ourselves. And so it is this whole life transformation where our character is being changed into the character of Jesus Christ. There's a transformation of our attitudes and our speech and our conduct and our affections. All of that undergoes a transformation. And then it plays out in transformed relationships, the manner in which we relate to family, the manner in which we relate to neighbors, friends, enemies, <laughs> co-workers, but, but the community of Christ. And so Paul has in view a lot of it, the Jew-Gentile relationship, okay? That is less the dominant context for us because it's mostly a Gentile church. Sadly, sadly, our, our Jewish friends, uh, Abraham's uh, descendants, have largely rejected Jesus as the Christ, and so the church has become a Gentile church. I think we could play this out in the context of racial differences, right? So uh, tribal differences, skin color differences. God's purpose is to bring all tribes, languages, peoples, nations uh, into one family. That being said, <clears throat> salvation is transforming our lives into the character of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says it this way. Um, chapter three, I believe it is. Forgive me here. I'm, um, no, I'm sorry. Chapter four. Until we all reach unity in the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's Ephesians four thirteen. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, we shall become like Jesus Christ, not outwardly but inwardly our character is being transformed into the, the, the character of Jesus Christ. I believe the, I don't know if the highest expression, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but a significant expression, maybe the highest expression of Christ-like character is then to submit to submit my will to the will of another. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus there knowing his mission, knowing the call that the Father has upon his life, that he is to lay down his life for his people, that he is to give himself on the cross. <clears throat> he knows the manner of death. Uh, he knows it's going to be excruciating pain. Uh, he knows that there will be some separation, some turning of the Father's face, this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? All of this is known. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, <clears throat> Father, is there any way for this cup to pass? Yet not my will, thy will be done. This image of thy will be done, or this language and the, and the, the character and the intent and the, the, the willfulness that stands, or maybe the willingness is the better way of saying it, that stands behind it is, I think, this kind of ultimate sense of the character of Christ. 
to take that which one possesses, perhaps the only thing one possesses, that is their life and their, their will, and to yield that to the will of another, to, to the will of God. Okay, And so Jesus submits to the Father's will in that moment. And then that decision and Gethsemane plays out as Judas comes. Jesus could have... You know, could have zapped him. <laughs> Legions of angels were at his disposal. He could have commanded his followers to, uh, to, to go get him, boys. <clears throat> Instead, he tells Peter to put the sword away, right? And so the submission that we see in, that, that has been going on all along in Jesus' life, so it's not like that's the first time he submitted, but that was the a culmination of a life of submission to the Father's will. <clears throat> so, if if salvation is this transformational experience where we are um, we are reconciled to God, and then the Spirit, this incomparably great power, is given to us in us, and that Spirit now goes to work transforming us, changing the way we think, be made new in the attitude of your mind, put off the old self, put on the new, uh, distance yourself from that former way of life, put on this new way of life. <clears throat> the, the, the maturity of a Christ-like character and salvation's goal and, and, and end point, as it were, is this, thy will be done. God wants that in our lives, that we would freely, as Jesus did, submit ourselves to the will of God. And so... <clears throat> to be controlled or influenced by the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's singing. Yes, it's speaking. Yes, it's giving thanks. Those are all easy things. Now, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of your honor for Jesus Christ, out of your submission to Jesus. You're bending the knee and declaring that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, Submit yourselves to one another. And, and again, the context is in this notion of not only human relationships, but the Jew-Gentile relationship, a, 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 a set of relationships that have a history of hostility and division and enmity and strife. Now, submit yourselves to one another. But it's just not in the Jew-Gentile. It's in the fullness of one's life, okay? So in our reverence and submission to Jesus, <clears throat> we now live that out in submission to others. That's the challenge. That's the call. God will not, God, so, so salvation is not this, oh, I, I said I believe, and again, I get to live my life. No, my belief translates into action, okay? So the, the actual relationships of my life are lived in submission to Jesus. They're lived as an expression of this, this love. So when Jesus said, when, when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, then we rightly ought to be about forgiving those who are indebted to us. Those who've wounded us, those who've offended us, those who've slighted us, etc. We don't keep hold grudges. We don't keep score. And the degree to which we do not forgive the debts of others, well, then maybe we don't fully understand that we've been forgiven, right? So, <clears throat> so that being said, verse 21 here, chapter 5, verse 21, submit or submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, that springboards into a, a, an extended section of, 
what is known as the household code. And so Paul writes of the, the marriage relationship, the parent-child relationship, and then the household-servant relationship. And so, and so submitting yourselves to one another, that's the hinge point, okay? That's maturity, okay? To be influenced and controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, is going to show itself in the way in which you live in the actual day-to-day relationships of your life. So, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, verse 21. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, in the same way that Christ did, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And then quoting, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's Genesis chapter 2. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 5. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, that's chapter 6 down through verse 9. I'm going to unpack each of these over the next couple of days. The husband-wife relationship, the parent-child relationship, and then the slave-master, or it's really the bond-servant. So we'll talk more about that on, that'll be Friday. It is not slavery the way we think of slavery and the experience in the, in the American um, uh, American. Uh, history. Okay, this is an overview today. This is uh, commonly referred to as the, uh, from, by the Bible commentators, as the household code. He also gives this in Colossians, uh, the book of Colossians. Instructions 
as to how this new life in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, this saved life, this transformed life, how it then lives at what it looks like in marriage, in the parent-child relationship, and then in the workplace, if I could say it that way, within um, uh, its master-slave or supervisor-employee. There's, there's uh, ways that we'll, we'll talk about that. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. And now he talks about a relationship between husband and wife. Husbands and wives, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Parents and children, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Masters and slaves, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. We have to hear that, that, that verse 21 is kind of the governing image that is given. Now, are there differing responsibilities within marriages between parents and children, between masters and slaves, supervisors and employees? Yes. Okay. I'm going to talk about that one, one day at a time here. The, <clears throat> the notion is that Jesus Christ radically transforms all of our relationships. Whether we are in the um, subordinate position Uh, whether we are in the supervisory position, whether we have the responsibility uh, to lead or whether we have the responsibility to follow, that we we are all in a different, uh, a, a web of relationships. We'll say it that way. And the most significant relationships we find ourselves in are in the context of our day to day lives, where we live, who we live with, and where we work. Okay, this is the small sphere. Talked before about the 25-foot radius. Most of us live our lives. It's the context of husbands, wives, parents, children, and where we work or serve. Okay, that th- those kind of realities shape our day-to-day. And so this has always been the case. This is not something that's uh, an American modern American phenomenon. This is a human phenomenon. We're, we're located in time and space. We're, we're, we're earthly, bodily creatures. We live under a roof. <laughs> we, we engage our lives day to day with a small set of people. And then outside of that small set, in family and in work, we have other relationships, but most of our lives are lived in a very small set of relationships. And God wants Jesus Christ and the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the salvation experience and the, the influence of the Holy Spirit to be present there. That salvation is not, oh, I go to church with folks I see once a week at best, <laughs> And I'm really kind to those people once a week. And that's my religious duty. And that's what salvation is. Yeah. Church is the easiest thing to do. We can go, we can fake it at church. Like, I mean, it's just easy to fake it. We can just dress up, go, you know, act, act happy, you know, be kind for an hour. Almost anybody can do that, right? The, 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 the real issue is as you're driving to church, as you're leaving from church, when you get home and how you engage your life, that's the challenge. And then when you wake up on Monday morning and get about your, your, your week and your, your, your work and your business. So the household code is just 
so very basic and so very practical. But so again, why I love the book of Ephesians chapters one to three, kind of big theology, right? I mean, all this kind of stuff's happening. But then chapters four, five, and six, it's playing it out you know, unity between Jew and Gentile, unity in the body of Christ, put off your old way of life, put on your new way of life. And now he narrows in, live this Jesus life here in your home, with your family, at your place of work. Whatever position in the family you may have, it is to be governed by a a posture of mutual submission out of reverence for Christ, submit yourselves to one another. Now, there are objections that, that abound in these, in these, uh, uh, when we read these. Yeah, but, but it's about equality between husbands and wives and parents and children need to, parents shouldn't just dominate their children and the whole master slave thing, boy, we should abolish slavery. And so the objection is equality which confirms the wisdom of this call to mutual submission, right? Okay. So there are bosses, there are employees, there are coaches and there are players. (laughs) There are um, uh, authorities and there are citizens, right? There are different roles that we play in society. And, And so it's how we fulfill those various roles as Christians. Um, <clears throat> the Pauline vision, this household code that is given here, flies in the face of the prevailing culture, the Roman culture uh, into which Paul was writing. We don't understand this because we don't live in Rome, okay? We live in a society whose very foundational documents and understanding have been shaped by the truths of scripture. And so the, the American uh, constitution and uh, the, the you know, declaration of independence are shaped by a Christian vision of the world that all men are created equal. Has that been lived out perfectly? Of course not. We live east of Eden. But it is understood <laughs> that equality of all people is the foundational reality. It was not so in the Roman Empire. Men could do whatever they wished for their, to their wives. Wives were little more than property. Um, uh, the Apostle Paul lifts up women. <laughs> he, 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 gets, he gets a rap as being a misogynist for, for, for be, you know, because of this passage. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's wrong. Paul needs to be ignored. No. Paul was honoring women when he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Husbands, you have a responsibility to your wife to care for her, to protect her, to keep her, to lay down your life for her. That is unheard of in the Roman, in the Roman culture. That is, that is flies in the face of everything because men could do whatever they wanted to their wives. Parents and children. Children, same thing. Children um, were, were, were not thought of, we think of children, oh, sweet children, let's do it for the children. Let's educate the children. Let's serve the children. That is a thoroughly Christian understanding. <laughs> Bring these children up into the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. 
well, why would Paul have to give that instruction unless that's how parents and fathers in particular lived? I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want to my child. No, you have a responsibility uh, to your children. And so, again, I'll, I'll unpack these over the next couple of days. And then obviously the, the, the work context, the slaves and masters, we do not understand. We read the American experience into this. That's not the case. Okay, so, all right, out of time. Um, let, let's pray now, <clears throat> and then we'll pick up over the next couple of days and try to unpack each of these um, uh, sets of relationships and how they can be lived out in more faithful ways. So let's pray. Father, hear our prayer. We wish to live more faithfully as followers of Jesus, but we confess that we often struggle in the places where it is most important in our marriages, with our children, our loved ones, our places of work and service. And so we simply pray your mercy, teach us, instruct us, open our eyes and hearts to these deep truths that our lives might be a blessing to those with whom we are closest. Father, hear our prayer as we offer it in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the grace of Jesus Christ which was a submissive grace. May the truth of Jesus Christ, which was a submissive truth, may that grace and truth so shape and keep and bless your lives this day and forevermore. Amen.